Welcome to the podcast, Canons on the Run, episode 34. A podcast of St. Norbert Abbey. I'm Reverend Frater Jordan. And I'm Frater Jonathan. We're recording from Chicago at the moment, and we are here to talk about Pope St. John XXIII's Daily Decalogue, part two. Mm-hmm. Continued as part of our acclaimed series. Critically acclaimed. <laughs> well, critical is... <laughs> So before we hop into that, let's talk about what we've been up to. I'll go first this time? All right. Great. We both lived through the polar vortex, which any of our listeners in the Midwest, which are probably a lot of you, uh, also lived through. Down here in Chicago, it got to at least negative 40 with the wind chill. That's right, listeners, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, a little bit below that. So there were all sorts of school cancelings and I think the city of Chicago was uncharacteristically quiet for a while during this intense polar vortex that happened. For me, with my classes at CTU, that meant that Tuesday I had two classes that were both done online, so through the computer. One was just, we had recordings sent to us. One we actually met online with the professor and the class, we were all from our own laptops, so that was pretty fun. And then Wednesday, Thursday, school was closed, so that was doing stuff um, long distance, just on my own, keeping up on the readings and things. And this week now is back to normal. The weather shift was huge, so we had negative 40 at one point with wind chill, and then within like three days, I think, it was close to 50 degrees above zero. Right, <laughs> and a change were... of like 100 degrees. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it was a huge shift, and there were birds chirping. It felt like spring suddenly decided to show up. It's gone, it's winter again today, it's cold, but a little spring day in there, it was nice. Right, right. Uh, with, with the polar vortex, reading the Tribune too, uh, this morning there was an article, a person was actually on the Ellen DeGeneres show for mm-hmm. her work and her, some friends' work. Uh, during those cold nights, they pooled resources and drove uh, the homeless of Chicago to a hotel. So they rented out like a bank of rooms in a hotel uh, from that homeless community on Roosevelt and Des Plaines. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a tent community with, uh, mm-hmm. you just have a little bit of forest, but... Uh, there was a report in the Tribune that the fire chief took away all propane because a propane tank exploded uh, in that little settlement of of homeless people. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, in which case, like it was really vital for them to be placed in a hotel because without any source of heat, uh, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have made it. Right, the cold was deadly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, I guess that's some goodness uh, found. Found here in Chicago, besides all the gloom and doom of the violence. But, sure, what the news usually reports, it's a really uplifting story. Yeah, yeah that's right. I remember seeing that now. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's powerful. Uh, other than that, um, just been doing some things with diaconate ministry. Uh, it was pretty exciting. I had some hospital visits this last week, uh, which brought me back to my days at CPE when this podcast was kind of starting out. Yeah, nice. Uh, so that was a beautiful experience and uh, also had had a uh, uh, last physical therapy appointment, <laughs> so on my way to recovery and training for the Boston Marathon. So super awesome, exciting. That's a good motivator to have uh, a big race like that on the horizon. Like I got to get better. I mean, you've been dedicated to your physical therapy. There are times like I'm walking through the kitchen before you know you're out to go for a run. Clearly, but you're yeah. just hanging out, hanging out in the kitchen doing calf raises, and you've been dedicated to it. So good for you. Yeah. Well, after an injury, it's like. <laughs> mm-hmm. these things are important these little little steps matter so, yeah, yeah definitely 
So our focus of today, as we alluded to at the beginning of this recording, is resuming our series here about St. Pope John XXIII's Daily Decalogue, and we are on number two. Number two reads... We're just, we're just making headway through this. <laughs> we are. Hey, there's ten. This is good. Yeah. There's a lot of growth to do here, right? <laughs> number two reads, Only for today, I will take the greatest care of my appearance. I will dress modestly. I will not raise my voice. I will be courteous in my behavior. I will not criticize anyone. I will not claim to improve or to discipline anyone except myself. Yeah, <laughs> I think John the 23rd could have probably came up with five more bullet points just based <laughs> upon this number two, what he tried to pack in here. But for me, what's at the heart of his, his second point of his daily decalogue uh, is the ego, right? And, and it's this built up, disordered self-love, I would call it. And it caused me to reflect upon the, the story, the Greek-Roman mythology of Narcissus. Mm -hmm. right? So Narcissus is this, this human being who falls in love with himself. He finds a pool of water, gazes into the reflection, and sees himself and falls deeply in love with himself. Like He can't love anything else more than he loves himself. And through our Christian lens, this becomes a issue, a sin of pride, a disordered pride, a disordered self-love. That too often we can enjoy ourselves more than we enjoy others. Um, I think we were kind of cracking jokes the other day of, I don't know, I, I live with myself pretty well. What about, <laughs> I don't know why you can't live with me that well. But uh, Yeah, I'm really easy to get along with. Yeah, Come on. I get along with myself just fine. <laughs> um, so, so at the heart, like this whole notion of, of not only like appearance and dressing, dressing modestly, but there's this other, other component of we just want to fix the other person. Like the other person I live in community with is driving me crazy because they do X, Y, and Z. And I don't know why they do that. Why can't they do it the other way? And it's this realization of, wait, 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 wait. Before I start looking at what's wrong with this other person, I got to look at myself and ask, well, what is driving me crazy about this? And is it necessary that I address it? Or can I just let it go and live in peace and recognize the goodness of the other? Mm -hmm. And I like that you just said at the last part, you said, what is driving me crazy about this? I thought that was a really great way to ask that question because you're saying, what's going on? Why do I keep responding this way instead mm -hmm. of why are they acting that way? Because mm -hmm. that's only pointed at them and you're not going to really address your own feelings. And to just look at it and say, why do I keep responding the same way to this? Am I am I just obsessing about this? You know, mm -hmm. that's a great way to look at it. Start with yourself first. Right, right. Well, because definitely the immediate immediate response is to be, this other person needs to change this. Mm -hmm. And often, I think our Christian life says, "No, let's take a step back and you know check and see what's going on within me." Absolutely. So you bring up this idea of pride and. Of all these statements in this second part of the Decalogue, I'm aware of that first one, that first statement, I will take the greatest care of my appearance. It really can sound like you're doing a good thing, right? It's, it's a virtuous thing to say, like, I want to make sure that I look presentable and I want to, you know, just take care of myself here. That's really good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that can easily turn into a vice that I'm, you know, overly concerned with how I look, not just physical appearance and what I'm wearing, but also how do people perceive me? How are people looking at me? You know, do I seem really great? Am I really easy to get along with? And I'm just, 
I'm constantly concerned about how people view me. And so things like that, really what starts off as a virtue slides into becoming a vice. And St. Pope Gregory the Great wrote about this in the 6th century, right at the end of the 6th century when he became Pope. He wrote something that's called in English, the Book of Pastoral Rule, or just the Pastoral Rule. So in this particular writing, he was addressing priests, he was addressing clergy in, in behavior. So it starts off with that, but obviously this really can speak to everyone in, in looking at your own behavior. Mm-hmm. And he writes about how virtues and vices can easily overlap if we're not careful and we're not aware of that. So he writes, the pastor should be discreet in keeping silence profitable in speech, lest he either utter what ought to be suppressed or suppress what he ought to utter. For as incautious speaking leads into error, so indiscreet silence leaves in error those who might have been instructed. The pastor ought also to understand how commonly vices pass themselves off as virtues. So to that last point, first, that's what I was trying to get at with this idea of taking the greatest care of my appearance. It can pass off as a virtue, but if I look at that too much and I'm really worried about that, pride is taking over. Like you were sharing the story of Narcissus that I'm just really worried about, you know, I'm just, I'm great. I need to make sure that people know that I I look great. And that's really all I'm concerned about. Mm -hmm. Instead of, instead of asking that great question, okay, how can I respond to this differently? What am I maybe needing to reflect on and change in my understanding of others to find a way to get along together? So that middle part, this idea of silence that he writes about, um, silence and talking, I like that because, okay, so in trying to practice this idea myself, not criticizing others, not judging others, as an extrovert, that for me, the easiest way to start practicing that is to speak less, which is a (laughs) difficult thing to do at instinct because that's where my thinking is happening, is talking, right? But if I'm going to not criticize others, I've learned, especially like if I'm tired or stressed or busy, I need to speak less and listen more. And that's going to help me not fall into saying something critical or diving in right away and realizing in hindsight like eh, maybe I didn't need to say that right that's a little bit of a judgment the problem with that for anyone I think is that that silence can become judgmental in itself mm. and that's I feel what that idea of virtue and vice and what Gregory the Great was writing about that don't he says be discreet in keeping silence if we're not discreet in that silence and doing it in an intentional way it can actually just turn into judgment still like well, I'm just not going to say anything but gosh it's stupid that they do that and, you know, just being yeah. quiet about it instead of having a conversation about it. Yeah, silence isn't my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the problem would be the, the speaking up as what not to lead into error. Mm-hmm. That often I find, oh, I'll just keep the peace and keep my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Us both bringing up these different ways of approaching talking and not talking is actually a really great example of number two of the Decalogue here of not judging each other because as we just expressed, we clearly operate so differently. Mm -hmm. So um, if I may speak from my perspective first, it's hard sometimes as an extrovert that there are things that you're saying that I feel like, okay, I think there's more, but he only said like one sentence or when we're discussing and I ask a question, or at least in my mind, what I think is asking a question and then you're answering something, but it doesn't seem to answer what's going on. When we first were living together this over this academic year, I remember the struggle in that for me was like, okay, why is he talking about that? Like, I'm, I'm actually wondering this. So there's a judgment in that at first. Um, we talked about it a little bit at different points, and I started to learn, and I started to listen to myself more, and I realized, oh, I'm giving Jordan way too much information. Like, I'm asking five questions, which is a way that I process stuff. 
but then I was unfairly expecting that you were going to know what I was looking for in that question, in the, all of those questions. Um, and so initially... My eyes get big. Like, <laughs> what? Let's just break this down one at a time. <laughs> right. And until you said that to me, I had no idea that that's the thing that I needed to, to change. So in my mind, it's just like, I remember a few times asking like two or three questions and I sensed that you were frustrated, which against, the, against this Decalogue, I was frustrated with you. I was just like, why is he getting angry with me? Like, we need to talk about this. I have questions. Like, come on, just, we got to talk about this. I started to realize I'm asking way too much stuff. So I just slow myself down and recognize what is the actual information that we need to communicate and what am I actually looking to know? So I had to kind of prep myself before and then go to communicate with you and just ask, hey, can you let me know about this? And usually those conversations went great because I actually came with a direction instead of doing the extrovert thing and putting it all out there. It all connects in my mind, but mm -hmm, right. right. Yeah. So when you come to me with all your questions, I'm like, oh, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Uh, <laughs> this is a lot to take in and I just can't, can't handle this. Um, but I also was able to recognize that, well, this is just how Jonathan is able to process and process the conversation or idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I need to buckle up and let, <laughs> let him, let him do this. Right. Uh, but, but I also didn't, didn't need to change my style of communication, but I also needed in our conversation to recognize how my communication style is perceived in which, um, I know you said you, you became very frustrated with just my short, basic answers because you would say, is that it? Where I have internal processing. So I arrive at my decision, but all my ideas are stuck in my head and never articulated, mm -hmm. which now I can understand can become very frustrating for an extrovert uh, when I give a one word answer or just a one sentence answer that may need to require more context. Mm -hmm. oh, you articulate that so well, mm -hmm. which is great because that's definitely one thing I've learned again in light of this number two here at the Decalogue. It was easy for me before to just be critical and think, okay, so you're thinking all of these things, great. Just say them then, <laughs> which is totally a judgment. And realizing what you just articulated, you were meeting me in the middle when I'm sitting there and like pounding out an idea for maybe a good eight minutes. And it may have all started with you just saying, you know, hey, when do you want to go for a run today? <laughs> well, let me go through my date, what I have on the agenda today. No, that's not what I have. Right, right, seriously. And I'm not even trying to do that, but it's like one of those, I say one thing, which then makes me think of something else, which makes me think of something else. And all of a sudden I realize I need to come up for air and go, Okay, so to your original question, and then I answer that. So there's a lot of patience that you're really practicing for me in meeting me in the middle and not judging that. So that was really helpful for me to understand how overwhelming that was for you. And then it also honestly became a really mutually edifying thing because then I realized I just need to communicate the one idea that he's looking to communicate with. We have other times where we have great conversations and it's back and forth and things go where they are. But to, to not sit there and act, you know, not to think, okay, like, why doesn't Jordan just talk more, which is a way of trying to fix you or criticizing your way of being instead of recognizing, okay, what do I need to be aware of? And though I didn't know it at the time, you were doing that for me as well. You were saying, okay, how is Jonathan being and how can I respond to that differently so that we can meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. It's been a really yeah. good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's where I know Augustine has a really great sermon on this uh, passage from Matthew's gospel 
but I, I, I just love in, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Stop judging that you may not be judged, for as you judge, so will you be judged, and the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Why do you not notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? I just love that message of measurement. I mean, this is where even our rule of St. Augustine, I remember Father Matthew just saying, like, a rule can be a, a measuring stick, a ruler, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I think John the 23rd's Decalogue here, it's don't criticize anyone until I begin to criticize myself and begin to understand who I am and how others receive me because of who I am. Mm-hmm. Right? That is such a good verse. I think there are so many times in life that we may not even realize we're falling into criticizing. And I think there's a lot of grace when we have those embarrassing moments in life where maybe the very thing that we're criticizing, one day we suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I do that too. <laughs> Usually our biggest critiques are things that we do. Yeah. That we see in others. Right. And as painful as it is sometimes, that really embarrassing moment of realizing that, Gosh, that's filled with grace yeah. of helping you realize, helping a person realize, like, oh man, okay, I can slow down a little bit. I once heard from uh, a sister in their religious community that they practiced discussing some of these difficult things. And for them, it made sense in their community to say, okay, if you need to share something that you're struggling with or observing that is troubling you, share that. And then they challenged each other to end the sentence with, and I do that too, which may not work in every situation, but I think. In the cases of things like, you know, you know, if I'm going to tell someone, gosh, it just feels like you're really thinking about yourself here and that's really difficult for me because I wish that you were more aware of the community, to then end that with, and I do that too sometimes, yeah, yeah. reminds me to be aware of that. Like, even though I think there's no way that I'm perfectly always thinking of the community and not acting from an egotistical place at times, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of just being open to that. We were talking about what this looks like lived out and... I find a lot of solace in the verses that talk about striving for peace with one another and what we were articulating a minute ago and just understanding how each other communicate with one another. Um, And actually, recently in Mass, one of the daily readings from Hebrews, it's in Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 15, says, Strive for peace with everyone and for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one be deprived of the grace of God, that no bitter root spring up and cause trouble through which many may become defiled. The idea of the bitter roots springing up really is a great image, I think, as a way of reminding me, if I don't take the time to do that inner work for myself first, and I'm looking at others, that bitterness is going to take root and going to start springing up, and that's going to affect how I interact with others. So I need to make time to do that inner work first, not criticize others, and strive for peace with everyone. I think that's a way then to let go of the ego while taking care of myself taking care of my appearance in a healthy way. Yeah, and I think in what we discussed here too, it's a dialogue is good when you perceive these things in yourself and in the other, but to be able to go there with openness and not crushing the goodness of the other. Because I think that's where the criticism comes in of uh, you do this and I want it to stop and I will crush the goodness that you're bringing to this Mm. community and this relationship rather than just saying, hey, you know, I see this, and this is how I feel, and I do it too. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, uh, right. like I might not do it the same way you do, but I have my problems in in our example of communicating. Mm-hmm. Right? But I, I think it's always important to come from a place that this person wants 
the good for all of us and I should not crush that goodness that they bring. Yeah, it's choosing what you're focusing on. Yeah. If you want to learn more about the podcast, go to www.norbertines.org, click on Podcast tab, and if you want to get in touch with us, click on Contact the Podcast Team. You can also find us on iTunes. Make sure to leave a rating and review, and like us on Facebook. So as we read and reflect upon this bullet point number two of Pope St. John XXIII's Daily Decalogue, may we continue to build one another up and delight in one another's goodness. Amen. Amen. Saints Norbert, Augustine, and John the 23rd, pray, pray for, for us. us.